1: It is the Blue Room. It is happy times here on the Everton front. The Blues swatting aside Arsenal on Saturday like it's nobody's business. And they're going to go and do the same to the Reds on Monday as well, aren't they? Uh, We've all got that. Pep in our step. Mick Reynolds here with me. He's got his ticket for Anfield on Monday to see us turn over the Reds for the first time at Anfield in front of a crowd since 1999, haven't you, mate? Feeling pumped for that one? Well, yeah, I
2: literally just said I'm actually... Feeling optimistic for going into that game, um, that, that's what Sean Dice does to us,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I know our next guest, Paddy Boyland, is, is very excited because he actually messaged me this week. So, you, <laughs> you, usually, when, when I message people, to, people probably don't know how this works. When I message people to come on the podcast, you know, I, I kind of have an inherent like percentage in my head what chance it's going to be they're going to say, Yeah, so Mick, I'll, I'll put you at like a solid 80% of the time. You say, Yeah, I'll, I'll come on, um, you know. Um, Paddy I probably put down at Like a 25% chance you know, Usually <laughs> get a message back Saying about how busy he is And, and how much right. Everton do doing his head And he doesn't want to do Much more Everton chat anymore um, But this week Listeners, Paddy messaged me and said, "Are there any podcasts going this week?" So, so I'm assuming you're really excited to talk about Everton. Mate.
0: <laughs> I feel like you've turned me into some kind of major diva here. The way, <laughs>
1: hey, that, that that is pretty much exactly what happens. So if you think that sounds like a diva, then draw your own I recognize conclusion.
0: About, I recognise about half of what you said. There, I recognise that Everton are doing my head in bit. I'm not entirely sure that I'm really busy. I'm having a moan about that. I don't know if I go down that route. But I, I was just wondering whether your in, intro talking about how Everton are going to turn over the Reds on Monday. I was just wondering how that, that's going to go down after Liverpool 3-Everton nil because I'm sure that'll get clipped up on some kind of Liverpool channel or podcast, and we'll be reminded of it for, for ages to come. I think I'm
1: going to become a meme. You could be
0: confident like, about Everton.
1: Like, like, you know, the, um, what's it,
0: the bald Irish guy. That, that does the YouTube shows for for Liverpool. You might become the Everton version.
1: of Liverpool. I mean, that's
0: harsh. Come on. <laughs> obviously, obviously, there's a there's a big
1: difference in the amount of hair you both have. Well, but... well I mean, we've all made bad predictions. I mean, what, what's your worst ever football, shells? I mean, mine was saying that I think Eric Lamella could be a Ballon d'Or contender in the future when he moves <laughs> to Tottenham.
0: Um, mine was thinking Sandro would be good.
2: Oh, and I was literally going to say that then as well. Do you remember when when they they, they put out uh, the training video? I don't know if he was in Austria or somewhere like that. And honestly, some of the finishes that were coming out of his feet, bloody hell. And he was crap. (laughs) Uh,
1: Moise Keane did the same, didn't he? Like in training, looked amazing. They put that video, it's like, what have we signed here? But alas, it didn't work. But listen, uh, we've got Dwight McNeil and James Tarkovsky these days. So who needs them anyway? Um. We are going to talk about the measure side part a bit later. Of course, we'll also have a chat about the recruitment and um scouting restructure that's been going on this week, um, which sort of came to light based on people trolling for Everton's LinkedIn, which I thought was quite interesting as well. Um, but of course, we'll start off with Arsenal. Um, Paddy, um, amazing day. Um remarkably, Sean Dyche becomes, I think it's the 15th Everton manager in succession to not lose the first game in charge. So, I mean, should we just sack him now, get ahead of this and get somebody else in for the derby so we don't <laughs> lose that as well? Well,
0: 38 different managers over the course of a season. How just many games
1: have get... we got left? 18? I mean,
0: would you put it past Farad Mashiri to do that? I, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to see the short list as, like, candidates come and go. I'd love to see where we get to. Um...
1: Well, I'm sure you could bring people back for, like, a second or third go, like happened with, with Howard Kendall.
0: Could you just imagine Ronald Koeman coming back like two games before the end of the season, just
1: kind of igniting, kind of absolute fume? Because I don't think anybody likes Ronald Koeman. doing No, he's been chatting away again today, hasn't he? Paul? But no, um, Saturday How was boss, wasn't he? Do you, do you reckon that quote is legit? Well, apparently, there's one made up yesterday from Ruud Van Nistelrooy talking about Cody Gapper that was just plucked out of thin air.
0: Yeah, I just I think like what tends to happen is that these like these accounts, these aggregators and these accumulators on Twitter, they tend to see something, whether it's true or not, and don't check. So obviously, that reduces the success rate. And then it just blows up. So I saw loads of people talking about this from accounts I've never even seen before. These quotes, it does sound like Ronald Koeman. So whoever's made it up, it does sound like him. Kind of like so. Wasn't there a suggestion? He said something along the lines of Everton have won one championship. It just, it just struck me as something that was just there to kind of add a bit of needle. But who knows? Maybe Ronald did actually say it. Um, but yeah, um,
1: Saturday absolutely boss, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, fantastic day. Um, just one of those, one of those days where you come away with kind of a renewed sense of optimism and vigour about the club as a whole and, and have kind of, we've been through this period of turbulence and obviously there could still be turbulence on the way. There's still some division, but there's nothing better than even just temporarily changing the agenda and, and focusing minds than three points on, it on a Saturday. And the thing I loved about it was just that it was clear there was a game plan and it was clear there was a game plan from the outset. It was really well coached. It was really well executed. Players who have been hideously out of form this so far this season, even last season, came back renewed and revitalized. So, there I'm thinking about Dwight McNeil, Abdullah Dukhore. I think that's the sign of a good coach. I think it's the sign of a good manager. Somebody who can come in and go, I can see how Abdullah Dukhore can fit into this Everton midfield. I can see how Dwight McNeil can function in my Everton side. And then all the things we'd spoken about in the week and the build-up, kind of protecting the V defensively, um, congesting the midfield, the crosses to the back post and Dice's success at doing that, it all kind of came to fruition in front of our eyes on the pitch. So uh, not only did Everton beat Arsenal, but they deservedly beat Arsenal as well. I don't think there was any question over that. By, by half-time, there had comfortably the better chances by full time, they'd also had comfortably the better chances. And my fear at half time had been they were working so hard and they were given so much that I thought by 75 they'd be spent and there wouldn't be enough quality on the bench to kind of pull them through for the rest of the game. But they just, they, con- they, con- they, picked, they continued where they left off after the break. They picked it up and um, fully deserved the win, created the better chances. So it's been quite funny to see some of the fallout in the aftermath, the talk of anti football and everything else. I just think it was a well-executed game plan by a manager who clearly knew what he was doing on the day. Let's hope he's got seven, eight, ten more of those in his locker between now and the end of the season. Because if he has, Everton will be fine.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And Mick, that that was the the thing for me, you know. And you know, Paddy talked about things like protecting the V there, which you know you've done this week on Twitter, spoken about, and there's you, the clip you've done's gone viral. Um, you know, we've all listened to probably the interviews Dice has done, and and you know. People like yourself look very in depth tactically at what he's done. Were you surprised at how quickly it all came together in, in that sense on Saturday because he, he didn't have that long to work with the players? And I remember speaking to to Natalie Bromley about Daish beforehand that she said it's it's not a case of basic football with basic setups and doing you know things very simple that you might sort of associate with this type of manager. He has got a lot of little, little intricacies into the way in which he sets teams up and. It felt like it all came together very, very surprisingly quickly on Saturday.
2: Yeah, I I think there's been, been I mean, first of all, I think in terms of the match itself, it's probably the most impressed I've I've come away from a home game in a very long time, probably since, you know, the first games under Ancelotti before COVID in terms of, you know, being just generally impressed and pleased with the performance rather than just the actual results. Um, but I think in terms of the reaction, right, you know, from people maybe outside of Everton who who kind of look at Deitch and, um, you know, referring to what you mentioned there and that, you know, what he does is, you know, is, is based off hard work and lots of running and, you know, fighting for the shirt and determination. But I think that oversimplifies it too much and that, you know, if it was just as easy as going into that game of you know, sitting in a, a certain type of structure and, and chasing the balls down and, and winning your duels and that type of stuff. You know, more than one team would have beaten Arsenal before we played them on Saturday. You know, I think it was only Manchester United and even that I think might have been the end of August, beginning of September time at the start of the season. You know, and I think even even from the, just the some of the, the tactical nuances throughout the game as well, you know, there was... Quite obviously, the most interesting thing before the game had started was that you know it looked like it was going to be a 4 5 1 and not a 4 4 2. Um, and, and the way in which he pressed, and which you know it was on one side, it was the you you make it a 4 4 2, and then it was on the left, it was Onana. And quite ironically, I think that's something Lampard had tried to achieve with a in the middle, and that he'd have you know Garner as the six, which I mean, I'm still not sure about that in the long term. And I think there's actually a clip of. Dyson and his staff with about 10-15 minutes to go absolutely losing the plot trying to get someone to, to just stay where they are and I can always guarantee that that's a just game okay. um, and so I'm not sure about that you know in the long term but that type of it, it, it can't be underestimated how difficult it is to try and get a, a, a pressure structure to work in such short time against, against an Arsenal team who you know I remember you know in the first opening five or ten minutes just before we scored in the second half you know, they came out and you knew they'd be a lot more rejuvenated and you know i think arteta wasn't going to watch that open 45 minutes and not change anything or tweak anything and the way they move the ball how quick they move the ball to get it into the final third can be mesmerising. and a lot of the, the triangles a lot of the movements and the third man runs they make it so hard to play against and yet the way we pressed initially, and the way we got in the structures, that you know, in, into the low block and mid block, and you know, when they broke through, it was it was really impressive. And I think I don't think it's a simple case of this being, you know, uh, a new manager bounce or just you know people working that a little bit harder because there's a you know, new managers came come in or because the atmosphere was good. I think it was just a really, like Paddy said, a really well executed game plan.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the, the main man on the day party, you know, of course, Tarkovsky's got the winner. McNeil plays well. You know, Decore rejuvenated, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, it's all about Amadou and honor for me. And, um, you know, sort of said this a little bit at the weekend, but I think it's really fascinating and probably a, a testament to, to him that probably over the last few weeks, when Everson have been at the worst, he's probably been at his best. You know, you think about the game at Old Trafford when we played um, Southampton at home. Uh, They were matches in which he was really trying to drive the team forward in in both of those games. And listen, on on Saturday, he just absolutely loved it, didn't he? And while, you know, people in the stands were were panicking and and getting behind the team, and it was getting a little bit nervy and edgy towards the end, uh, there he was running the ball 40 yards down the touchline and and celebrating winning tackles. It was just um, a midfield display that had absolutely everything from him.
0: Yeah, just about everything, like you say. I love that run in the first half down the left wing where he cuts the ball back for Calvert-Lewin. Still not entirely sure whether it's him being imprecise with the final ball or Calvert-Lewin not getting there when he should. Still not completely made my mind up over that. But that's where you see, when he makes that run from deep, how effective he can be. I think Lampard got completely lost with him, particularly in the early part of this season where he kind of saw some of these elements but positioned him really high up the pitch. And I think you lose that element that we saw in the first half there and at other times in the second half, where he's he's just so good kind of springing from deep and make, making that run and putting the opposition under pressure. It was a really good all-round performance. I've still got that little bit of terror inside me when he picks the ball up, normally with his back to goal close to Everson's box. I mean... He, he, he did really well. And it was a lovely flick to, I think it was get past Partey. But I remember when he was doing that, I was thinking, if you lose the ball here, Everton are absolutely screwed. So I've still got a car, I've still got that in me with him. But more often than not, to his credit, he's keeping the ball in those situations. I think that this was a, a, a game plan that suited him much better than the early ones under Frank Lampard. It showcased his strengths. I think he himself. At a very young age, and I know one of the things that appealed to Everton about him was that he'd always shown leadership with the Belgium under-21s and and with Lille um, throughout his career. He'd he'd been seen as a leader, as somebody that kind of held court in a dressing room and was always influential. I think there's something about him in in what you're saying there where kind of all the really key games for Everton in recent months, Southampton and this one um, and a few of the others, he stepped up quite considerably in his level and is now starting to adapt and, and show just how talented he he, he is and can become. Um, obviously loves mixing it with Goodison and kind of giving it to the fans and getting it back. During the kind of really glum moments, he'd, he'd try and rouse the crowd and the crowd just wouldn't respond. I remember just looking at it, thought, kind of slightly cringe, watching him try and G everybody up. And he was himself, he was kind of up for it, but like there was just a flatness about Goodison in, in those kind of final days on the Lampard that I think was hard to shake. He's doing everything he can to, to kind of get the club out of it. It kind of feels like he's a new talisman and in a different way to Richarlison, admittedly, but a new, a new talisman. And I think there's an awful lot of upside with him here. It, it made me laugh after the game. I, 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 would, I would have given Man of the Match to Onana and actually I'm not even sure it was that close when you look at the rest of the Everton performances, even though there were some good ones. Very funny. First thing, Dyche has asked about him after the game. And his first thing, he's always talented, but he's got lots of, lots to work on. I want him to learn the ugly side of his game. And he was kind of telling us in the post-match presser about how, He's going to put him on the phone to Stephen Defour in, in the week to get him talking about the ugly side of the game. And then I think it was something, something funny that made me laugh about how um, if Stephen doesn't get through to him, then I will kind of thing. It was, it's like kind of vaguely threatening, but also quite funny from Dyche. And I remember thinking about it and thinking like, Onana joined off the strength of kind of working with Lampard. And that was a big, big draw for him. That can't be underestimated. But there's probably something, he does probably need like a Dice figure. To almost say, well, this is when you go, and this is when you stay. Sometimes the positioning and the 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 instinct is a little bit wrong, and I think somebody somebody like Sean Dice will hopefully bring that out of him. So, though he was fantastic, really, really good, and it's it's quite clear that Everton have got a gem on their hands. If he continues down this path, if he if he's used correctly, I think he can go on to really big things.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely love him, and it's it's one of them where I think I've you know, probably been on the show a few times this season, Mick saying that he should play as a number six. And I think he's best as a number six, but then you see things like what Paddy mentioned there, where he just, you know, gets the ball and just breezes past Erdegaard. Like like he like he's, you know, it doesn't even look like he's running a full pelt there, does it? He's just got this like enormous gait where he can just like sort of stride away from players and what he did in the second half, carrying the ball forward as well and how good he is on the ball. And I think, well, maybe he's, he's a number eight. I mean, it, I suppose we don't need to put him in a, in a box, yeah. But uh, the fact that we're sort of looking at him, and going, "Well, this is a lad who can do a couple of different things on a pitch and be asked to do a couple of different roles," at 21 years old, this that's really encouraging, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I, I put a visual off yesterday on on Twitter, and, I, and when I was doing that, I, I went through when he when he'd been playing the amount of games he started and and completes at you know top flight level in Germany, France, and now over in the Premier League, and he's this is the player who hasn't even played full 50-90 miniature you know i think that can go because you know 21s doesn't seem that young anymore really in football you know usually when players break through you know you are talking 18 19, so and you know especially the amount of clubs uh, that he's played for and what we pay for them in in this in some he's nowhere near the The finished the finished article and i think i, I think at some point that there will have to be a, a discussion about what's the you know where do we pin him down? And I do think it will probably be deeper because I think his I think really his future is is probably obviously not at Everton. I think is at the very is more or less at the very top. You know, for one of the top four teams in, in the Premier League, if not going off to to somewhere like Paris Saint Germain, and he, in those type of teams, he'll be used as the you know the main defensive player. And I think Paddy's right in that. You know, Daish is probably. Probably more so than Lampard is going to be someone who's a little bit more assertive and in, in 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 what he wants from his you know certain positions. And I think you, you could see that was probably a big de, you know deficiency on the Lampard. He was a little bit too vague in in in, in what certain player profiles were. Whereas with, with Dyson, I think this will help certain players who maybe aren't as good as Onana, who 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 obviously can you know fluctuate between certain certain roles. When you have got someone like uh, Decoré or or Gay, you know when they. Know exactly where they need to be or, or, or what to do. You know, trying to simplify it in those methods, in those ways, will be, you know, far more beneficial. I think we saw that as well with, with
0: some of the other players. So I, I don't think Dwight McNeil's become a bad player overnight. I don't think Abdullah DeCore became a bad player overnight. I think if you play Abdullah Dekore in a certain role where you're asking him to take the ball and dictate, he's not going to do it very well. And likewise, if you want Dwight McNeil to be this kind of bustling, dynamic presence that is coming in off the right all the time and arrow- arrowing them into the top corner, then you're probably going to be disappointed with him too. But if if you go back and you focus on kind of what makes those players good, and there's been a lot of talk from Daesh about kind of maximising individuals, maximising the collective, and looking at these guys and saying, well, Ducouré's got loads of en- energy, he's got an abundance of energy, but he breaks really well from midfield. Like his best spell... At Everton was arguably that first month or two before he got injured under Rafa, where he was he was given that license to to just make those late runs into the box and to and to join the attack. But I think he did it really well. His injury at the time was obviously a massive blow. Likewise, Dwight McNeil, he's, he's not going to burst past a man all, all the time, but there's quality in his left boot. He, he delivers a really good ball. There's quality in his left boot. If Everton, if if Everton can keep Dominic Calvert Lewin fit, somebody like McNeil is going to be key in bringing out the most in him because it, it, he's he's one of the few I look at and think he can deliver a ball semi regularly or better. You're not getting much from the fullbacks, um, whichever fullbacks play. So a lot rides on McNeil Townsend when he's fit, James Garner when he's back, some of those wingers to, to supply Calvert Lewin. So um, we saw big differences in both of those two players. No surprise to me that there was kind of a clarity about their roles that maximised what they could do and uh, helped them perform really well. So that's what we've got to hope for with Dice now. It's, it's, we ended the week window weaker in terms of personnel on the pitch, but stronger in the managerial ranks and in the dugout. I think what we're what we're banking on now is that Sean Dyche can take this collective that was underperforming and can kind of drag them by the coattails and turn them into a even a lower mid-table team would be music to probably our ears at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Even just doing that, just a functioning football team that doesn't look flawed in every single way.
1: Yeah. I mean McNeil's such a weird player. There's like I, I can't remember like losing the plot at the match as much as a player in my life. But then <laughs> like when he plays on the right, I just think he's absolutely terrible. And then you put him on the left-hand side at the weekend and just tell him to run down the line and cross the ball into the box. And he's absolutely fine. Like I'd never want him to see him playing on the right again. Like it just doesn't suit him. And he, whenever he cuts inside, he just clumsy he loses the ball. But if you just say to him, get on the left, run forward, get your head down and get crosses in and then take the corner when it's blocked, you he, he can, you he can do something. You can do a bit of a job. So, um, in my opinion, anyway, but yeah, he, uh, the first twenty minutes on Saturday, I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm not even going to go there because it's going to make me angry again. But uh, but then when he swapped over to the left, I was buzzing with him. Um, finally, but final bit of analysis from the game on Saturday. Did we all enjoy the fight at the end? I thought it was absolutely boss. Um, that one minute where there was two balls on the pitch, um, I think a ball boy pushed Inchenko over, and then Mopey sort of like power slammed him a little bit. Um, and then everybody ran over, Mick, you know, all, all, 24, all their 22 players rather on the pitch, just converging in that, that one little space. Um, it, it was sort of at that moment where I thought, yeah, we we probably got this now. These are starting to lose threads a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what Mopay was, was brought on for. And I think that's probably what a lot of people expect from him a lot more when we signed him, isn't it? you know, that type of nasty streak that he's seemingly not been able to, to, to be able to get anything out of it. Since he signed, um, but yeah, I think I, to be honest, when that happened, that was all I could think of was you know, if this referee starts adding more and more time on to, to the additional time, but yeah, I think at, at that point, it was you know, I think we were kind of convinced, not fully convinced, but kind of convinced that we got the, got the three points.
1: Yeah, Zinchenko is like usually the calmest fellow in the world, as well, isn't he, Paddy? And like, he was, he was, he was absolutely losing the plot. You're on mute. There we go. Can you hear me now? Yeah, Yeah, we got you. Yeah, it's a
0: slick recording operation here, as you can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Get me through to the weekend, I suppose. Um, Yeah, that's what I liked about it most, was that Everton had riled Arsenal so much that the kind of guy that's calmness personified 99.9% of the time lost his shit in that moment at Goodison. Largely because of Neil Mope, I think. Maybe partly to do with the ball. Ball boy, but Neil Mope just being an irritant and just kind of kicking at heels and, and doing everything there. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was, like you say, that was probably the moment when you realised Arsenal had gone past the point of return; they weren't coming back. I mean, from where I was, so I'm, I'm in the press box, which I've, I've obviously main stand. So I didn't have the best view of what was happening over the other side. My immediate reaction when I saw the kerfuffle. Was that something like big must have happened? Like a, a punch is being thrown, and it's going to result in two or three sendings off. And then I turned around to the monitor, the TV monitor just to my right at the edge of the press box, and looked at it again. And just thought, nothing's happened. Now, MoPay like initiates the contact, trying to like pull him, and then just flops on the floor for for, for seemingly no reason other than to annoy people. Um, his cameo was interesting. Like is kind of you're using him in a similar role to Calvert Lewin. I just don't think he's able to do that. I think what what I'd envisaged of him and from him when Dice came in was if Dice played a four-four or two at times, Mope had been a slightly more withdrawn one that almost sat in Dice terms in front of north of the, the number six and, and and just kind of disrupts. Um, that's a problem with Everton's squad, I suppose. And like even Ellis Sims can't really do what Calvert-Lewin does, and certainly not as, as effectively as Dom manages to do most of the time. So
1: That was the best Dom's play for ages, I think, on Saturday, wasn't it? Like good. all round, yeah. It was good, and obviously he, he hadn't
0: been 100% in the build-up. Maybe he never is 100% these days in the build-up and, and in games. There was one moment in the first half where I think McNeil had a shot blocked, and Calvert-Lewin went in with the keeper, and I was hoping he was actually going to properly go for it. And it felt to me as though he kind of backed out, backed out a little bit of the of the challenge of the 50-50 he needed to be stronger. But on the whole, kind of his link-up play was really good. I thought he occupied the two defenders, two very, very good defenders at that. Um, for the 60-odd minutes, he was on the pitch. Because of that, it was so noticeable when he went off. It was so noticeable, and that, that's what Everton's gonna have to manage. I think a lot rests on how many games he plays between now and the end of the season, and if he's not playing games, how effectively Dyche can kind of rejig the game plan to, uh,
1: to 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 make Everton equally as effective. Yeah, it was just like when Don was on, even when he wasn't winning headers, he was making them skew <laughs> headers like into awkward places, and we could like push up and win second balls. But when Mope was on, it was just like little cushioned headers out to the fullback and we just like had to get back into our shape straight away and defend. So there's no outlet. But listen, it, everything else was absolutely fantastic at the weekend. Um, moving on to something a little bit different lads. Um, today it has been confirmed that Everton have made a couple of new appointments. Um, this is obviously after Dan Purdy has moved up to become head of recruitment, uh, the long vacant head of recruitment. Um have been about for a while at Everton um, but they made two appointments that have been confirmed. Uh, one is Lee Sargison, who's joined as head of scouting. Uh, he was at Brighton beforehand, on, which you know has got a lot of people excited. And the second, and I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, but it's Dan Michichi. Is that right? Does anyone know? <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad you pronounced um, it. Me. Uh, let's go with that anyway. And he's taken the role of player development lead coach. So um, these are part of Kevin Fellwell's. Revamp plan, uh, Mick, I'll, I'll come to you first on this, mate. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, we finally got ahead of recruitment. Hallelujah!
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's been in in the pipeline, I suppose, for a while. Like, it's going to be Dan Purdy. Um, yeah, we were having a little chat about it just before we came on, and you know, it's such a such a weird one in it because I, I don't. It's hard to be critical of anyone, really. I think in the the recruitment structure that, that already exists, simply because. I mean, even you know the, the the title that he now has, you know, ironically head of recruitments. You know, can you even be, can, you know, are, are any of us convinced that he's actually going to be in charge of of that department to the extent if he would be if he was at Brighton or somewhere like that, you know? And I think that's the issue really, in that you can't, despite the fact that he's he's been at the club, I think, quite a few years. The the fact that you can't actually judge him says a lot about what, what the recruitment structure itself. Um, you know, I think obviously a lot's been said about. The, the way Everton's run behind the scenes i think obviously there was the um, Farhad farham interview a couple of weeks ago and, and how he almost described what seemed an absolute absurd process of how players are signed and now it's got to be signed off by about every single member of staff of the football club um you know it it's so it's 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 a really difficult one um to be honest i think it was an opportunity missed and that i think in that type of role if if it is used correctly i suppose i thought it was a chance for kevin fellwell. And 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 his people supposed to bring in fresh ideas to the football club. Um, you know, Peary might be really good at what he does, and you know, I suppose we we'll, well, we might not find out. We might find out. Who knows? But I think it is an opportunity to bring in someone with a track record of of working on a really smart football club, probably a bit similar to the the head of scouting um, appointment with the with the with the laugh and Brighton, um, who I think ironically has taken Dan Perdy's previous role. I think it might be. Um, but listen, I think an appointment anyway is good simply because I think he was at Brighton from more or less when things started to, to change under Chris shooting before they appointed Graham Potter and when um, their recruitment started to, you know, transform a little bit in the Premier League. And then on the, um, the new academy coach as well, who I'm not going to try and pronounce. I know he's had a bit of a, a poor time at, you know, coaching in the first team, but I know he's very high-rated um, as an academy oh, coach, man. working at yeah. MK Dons and Arsenal before, I know he's very, very good at what he does. You know, I know he's very highly rated on Football Manager as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got to go
1: and check that after this. Yeah, See, try and get him in on me, uh, me Everton Steve. But um, oh yeah, uh, Party you wrote the piece on it for, for the Athletic today. Um, this is like, I suppose like Mick said, we, we don't really know how significant it's going to be because. And um, we don't really know who gets involved and who has that kind of influence in Everton. But, it you know, Kevin Fowler's copped a lot of stick, hasn't he, for the transfer window? And you know, we sort of jokingly said on one of the podcasts last week that he had a month off. But it, but it, it does sort of seem like he's really intent on, on reshaping things behind the scenes, at least. The, at least the intent seems to be in the right place. I'd I'd love to see Kevin Thelwell's reaction if somebody put that
0: to him, that he'd had a month off, because I think he's about the busiest man in football, (laughs) given that he hasn't really had a full complement of recruitment people under him. Um, Certainly over the the summer, when there was less meddling from the hierarchy, particularly Mashiri and his his mates in London, um, Thelwell was kind of trying to do about seven or eight different things all at once at once with with recruitment being one of them, um, part only part of his remit. I think the most important thing probably to add to what you've said so far is that, I mean, I think we wrote in December that Purdy was in line for a senior role and was in line for this promotion. I believe it took effect early in the new year. So we shouldn't judge this as a and after January transfer thing and a response to the January transfer window, it was something that has been in the pipeline for, for a good while. Um, it gets us back to where we were in December, 2021 in terms of personnel when Greta Steinson, the head of recruitment, Marcel Brands, the director of football and Purdy himself left. Uh, Purdy was kind of third in command there behind those other two that I mentioned. And in the rest of that period and the intervening period between then and now, Everton haven't had a head of recruitment per kind of done a bit of both and fell done director of football with a bit of recruitment. Um, so we're back to where we were under brands. I suppose that's a message for how much division and how much damage Benitez did in his, in his short tenure. Um, but it's a sign of progress behind the scenes in terms of evidence and structures. Um, so given what we've said and given that Purdy was in effect head of recruitment during January, you can see that that's not going to fix everything all by itself. I kind of make the joke that after every transfer window, I write a piece along the same lines as the one before, maybe with the exception of the summer, but definitely with January and the diagnosis and the, the outcomes or conclusions are always the same. It's always... There is some good work taking place. Some of the right players are being identified. And yet when we get higher up that chain, something falls down, whether it's interference, whether it's a lack of money, uh, it might be anything, something falls down. The two big takeaways, I've not spoken to you kind of on on a podcast, Matt, obviously we've had chats in, in private about the window But two of the things that I just think really worked against the recruitment structures and the recruitment guys in January, getting rid of Lampard so late while you've got a deal for Dan Juma lined up. I think probably you sack him in November before the World Cup or soldier on until the end of the window when you've got your players in place. Sacking him so late creates confusion in the market, makes it harder to sign players. So I think that was one big error, one big fatal error. Um, and then the other one was in uh, selling Anthony Gordon on. I think it was the twenty eighth of January, with just days of the window left, leaving every other club on the planet fully aware that Everton had just banked forty million up front from Newcastle for him. Again, if you're going to sell Anthony Gordon, make it clear in December get all your ducks in order. And then I don't care who it is. I think they obviously it, it's been well documented by ourselves and others that they, they were, they wanted a, a Langa during that window and actually came very close to getting them through the door, I believe, but almost have those players lined up at the price you want them for, rather than what, what kind of the inflated price that other clubs kind of pitch, pitch them to when, um, when, when Gordon's been sold. Um so that, that there are still issues here in the process. I'm not necessarily sure, or we don't know for sure whether everything's entirely smooth below board level and below owner level. I would love to be able to see just how good these people are at their jobs. Um, but so much else goes on at the football club that it's hard sometimes to, to decide, isn't it? And is it a case of Marcel Brands being bad at his job, Kevin Felwell being bad at his job, Dan Purdy being of his job Steve Walsh before him or is it something more endemic is it something more kind of deep-rooted inside the football club well I mean my pieces tend to go with the 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 latter kind of conclusion and a lot of what I do. um but let's see let's see I think it's obviously a positive step I like the step of bringing in Michiche I'm gonna go with which makes him sound like a Peruvian winger just been brought in, just been recruited, 17-year-old, promising 17-year-old like Brighton have just signed. My, my head three. just,
1: when I said it initially, my head just went to the member Mikali, M- M- who played to be yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to do some
0: research on that because I'm not happy with the pronunciation of this, but I, I think Mick touched on something interesting in that he had a spell as manager with MK Dons, which went badly. And he obviously was was cleared out. At Crawley, he was assistant manager there to Kevin Betsy. But number twos don't always make good number ones. And I've, over the last day or so, I've asked I've asked people in the game, "What do you make of him?" And what comes back is really good as a developer of talent, really good as an innovator. He's seen as an innovator within within the field, quite um, quite dramatically. So I'd say from from some of what's come back. Uh, so he's not a conventional figure. I think he will hopefully challenge some of the processes in place at Everton and the way Everton do things. Um, and that's also kind of filling the gap left by Greta Steinson, too, because Greta Steinson's official title was Head of Recruitment and Development. And Everton, what Everton have done is separate them. I, I, I believe the separation is the best thing, but they've separated them off. And now you've got a situation where somebody with a really good CV, Arsenal and Managerial experience and, and work with England, various other clubs. Delhi Alley played a key part in bringing good Delhi Alley through at MK Dom's rather than lazy, slovenly Delhi Alley that we see now. Kind um, of bereft Delhi Alley. So I think that's something that they've needed for a while. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, and what I loved about the, the job specification was that it, it's focused on the players at the club between 17 and 21. There's also a focus on loans and And again, kind of making sure that they're doing the right thing by the lone players, who can go out, who's already out. Um, So potentially important for for an Ellis Sims or a Jared Branthwaite or a Lewis Dobbin. Um, Everton have to be better at that because, as as we know, they've not got enough through. I think it's kind of a central pillar of Thelwell's vision to make sure that Everton produce more for the first team, that they're more sustainable in their transfers. And if they're spending big money, then you do it on an Amadou Onana rather than a Yannick Balassi or a Genctosin. Hmm. is always the one they use. Whenever you speak to them about why didn't you sign a player late in January and they think, oh, we didn't want to do a genctosin. It's like doing a gentosin has become an eviting.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like here's the case study for what we don't want moving forward. If you'd said to me before this podcast, what would what would doing a Cenctosin be? It'd be shaving my head and spraying <laughs> spraying hair back on.
2: <laughs> well,
0: I, I know I know he, he, but even like doing a jenktosin it should be like in his case if we're talking about hair it should be
1: doing a Rob Holding shouldn't it Bob, I mean, Rob yeah. Holding's had the, the most amazing hair recovery I've ever seen maybe that's maybe that's what we need to do yeah we've probably got a picture of Chenk on one whiteboard and a picture of Rob Holding on the other and it's like <laughs> our recruitment needs to go from that to that if you're going fa- to fail then at least fail like Rob Holding's style <laughs> um,
0: it might as well look good doing it but like we had like what appeared to be like a few pubes that have been like glued, <laughs> glued onto the top of his head. All he does now
1: <laughs> is just sit on the bench, watch the best team in the land and look boss, combing his hair. like well, you know, one on.
0: <clears throat> And Tosin as well. Tosin just comes on for, for sick test and like bags two or three, because they just swat on everybody outside, five or six and up. There he'll we go. Fin- he'll finish oh. it,
1: but he's got a decent life as well. I wonder if they put an inquiry in for him in those desperate last few minutes at the deadline day. Fancy, fancy coming back, Cenk? We, we're, we're two or three strikers down here. He'll take him um, over Lucas Shaw,
0: by the way. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how we ended up there, um, but do. yeah, really, really interesting <laughs> stuff. And just like for, for a basic point of view as well, and you know, for people out there, um, I mean, either you can answer this in the sense of the, there's obviously this, the director of football and the head of recruitment. And I'm sure there are people going, well, isn't that Kevin Fellwell's job? I mean, uh, Nick, you're shaking your head there. Did, did Kevin was more of a, a wider umbrella, would you say, compared to um, yeah. what Purdy's going to be doing?
2: Yeah, well, I think Paddy kind of hinted at it in that, you know, people kind of suggesting that Kevin Fellwell had been, you know, taking the month off in, in January. And, and I mean, that,
1: that, I, I've made that joke a few times, Kevin, if you're <laughs> listening. I'm, I'm, i was. Know... I know Paddy's sort of acting like his agents a little bit there at the start. Um, <laughs> but I, I I am I am sorry, Kevin. It's all in jest. I know you've been working really hard.
2: I, I just think there's a, a lot more to it as you know, as a director of football. And to be honest, I think I, I don't think football itself does a brilliant job of describing what the role is. And and I think there's, and then you have there's so many different Titles of it at, at different football clubs, you know, you have director of football, you have technical directors, and then you have football clubs who have director of football and technical directors. So I, I, I don't, it, obviously his remit isn't just recruitment, so otherwise there'd be no such thing or no, no need for a head of recruitment. Uh, you know, I think Paddy kind of hinted at, you know, really what his main prerogative is, and that's trying to create a sustainable version of Everton, and, and that obviously lies massively on on the academy and, and, and then signing players or or influencing the people at the top to sign players like Amadou Onana. Um obviously really what you want is 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 as a, a duo who 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 work in, in tandem. I think I think the best example is is, is Brighton and that they are such so aligned from every single role in that the, you can take out important people and you know like the director of football um, Dan Ashworth and then promote um David Weir and it not really matter that much because the you know the the real instigators of what the philosophy is at football club are, are the owner and the CEO. Um they are the most important people at the football club really you know irrespective of who the director of football is and I think Kevin, what Kevin Falwell and Marcel Brands and Steve Walters issue has been is that they're trying to set a culture and I don't really think it's their job to set the culture. It's it's their job to implement it, but it's they've got to be told this is what the culture needs to be. Do you think you, you, you yourself are aligned to this culture? If the answer is yeah, then you start doing it for me. Whereas I think it's almost like Masheri's gone. Uh, yeah, you, you go do what you want to do. Um, and you could do that for, you know, nine out of 12 months. And, um, you know, every now and then I'll pop my head in and and suggest someone like Lucas Jam. <laughs>
0: it's mad, isn't it? I think, like, like Mick says, the owner's got to be fully on board with the vision. And if he isn't or she isn't, then it does start to fall down. And that, that obviously is where everything have gone wrong. I think delwell has got six or seven departments under him. And I think the best way it's being described to me is you imagine him as a director of football, the centre of a diagram and loads of different spokes going out. And you've got recruitment being one, sports science being another, medical being another, um, academy, women's team, all these... All the footballing departments at the club effectively report into the director of football. So his influence is much on bringing in Jack Naylor as the new head of sports science or a new conditioning coach and, and kind of James Vaughan as loan pathways, development being another one, obviously, as it is on recruitment. I think what we fail to understand or in the English, in the English game in particular, uh, because it's, it's a newer concept here than elsewhere, is that a director of football is not a head of recruitment. He's not a transfer guru. He'll probably be one of the final steps of the process. If you go in for kudos, your scouts watch him X amount of times. You see in your scouts then watch him. Your head of recruitment, Dan Purdy, will go and watch them. Then Kevin Felwell might do it. Um, So he's in charge of an awful lot of the football club. Um, You just need others to be on board with the vision happy with it, keen to adhere to it, not throwing in, for example, a Philippe Coutinho, if you want to sign young and hungry players, Uh, not throwing in a 29-year-old journeyman from Reading with a worse goal-scoring record than Ellis Sims this season. Everyone's really
1: hung up on Lucas Yao, aren't
0: they? Honestly, I, I try to be as balanced as possible, but if Everton had lost Lucas Yao, I would have lost my shit. I genuinely would have lost my shit. Uh, I wouldn't have even. I don't know what they'd have written. It would have been quite funny, but I was. I would have been angry because I was. I was just. I was angry even looking at the links. Was that ever an actual
1: option for them?
0: I think he was suggested to them, right, by, by certain figures in the footballing world. Um, you may have also had a link to Reading. Which, yeah, potentially. Which kind of concerned me yeah.
1: a little. Because
0: um, you never know what the final decision is going to be at the end of that process. But thankfully, it was a. Um, is a hard now? Um, and we don't have a 29-year-old journeyman striker. <laughs> we got that over the summer on Edison's books. Uh maybe we should get Rondon.
1: He's not river plate, isn't he? I Love Have Rondon than Lucas Shell. Yeah. Well, Dice, Dice definitely definitely the got rid of Rondon, <laughs> as I said last week, I don't think. But um that that was really fascinating stuff on on that. Um finally we'll we'll wrap it up very quickly. Derby feels ages away still, doesn't it being a Monday night and we're only on Thursday? Um Dominic Carver-Lewin seemingly touch and go. Dice was very cautious what he said about him um for the for this game. Um they've got a few lads back by the looks of it, and Jota and Van Dijk I think have been in training for Liverpool today. But I mean whether they're ready to play, I don't know. Um Mick obviously joking at the start of the show that we're gonna go there and, and swap them aside. But um what what we'll say is that I've had a few Reds crying it in for the first time in years this week when I've been speaking to them saying, Oh, you're definitely gonna you're definitely gonna come and beat us. And They've not had that for a while, and it, it just feels like one of those games where if we go there and we just stay in the game for an hour, um, then it, it could get really nervous and it could get a little bit anxious for them because it feels like they're, if not in a full blown crisis, very
2: much on the edge of one. Yeah, I mean, I mean talking about and I think it was Talk Sport last week, you were having a, a discussion about which club is is, is 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 in a worse state Everton or Liverpool. And I just I couldn't believe what I was hearing, to be honest. I mean, I'd snap your arms off and ninth or wherever they are. I mean, how much money they spent? I mean, no, know we spent a lot of money, but Christ, I mean, some of their fans You think they're not a well-run football club, mm, Jesus. Um, but I mean, in terms of the actual game, no, I, I think I said to you just before we came on that I'm actually a little bit more confident than this specific fixture than I am Leeds and, and Villa next. Just because I think um it kind of suits into, well i mean listen you know if, if we go out and 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 put into action the same type of game plan that we did on saturday that there's there's an opportunity i suppose the one negative is that sean Dice won't be able to you know slip you know a bit of money to the ground staff to try and dry out the pitch um but i mean unless they're evertonians which, are, which I, ha- I highly doubt um but I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of confident. I don't know whether that's because I'm going, and I've just got a feel, got a, just got a feeling, just got a hunch that we might do something. But, um, but yeah, I think it, a lot of it will go into the performance. You know, in terms of how good the performance is. I think you know Dice has mentioned that a few times, and that, um, he's he's more focused on performances than results or the league table anyway, which I like to hear. Um, you know, and, and to be honest, I think there's there's been a couple of occasions in the last couple of years. You know. I think that the the first Marco Silva derby there and, and the Ancelotti one and maybe even the the, the Sam Allardyce one as well. Um, we've actually la- not even, performed. So I was gonna say even last year, I know we lost two 0 yeah, yeah. but
1: like we were in the game for an hour and we could, you know, Gordon could have easily had a penalty, couldn't he, at that point. They they could have had yeah, a couple yeah. of
2: sent off. And I think listen, I think if if we kind of go in with that same attitude and, and, and just keep it tight and stay in the game. And I think one of the big assets that we probably didn't have last year is that we now, I mean, I know we're only going off one game, but I think it's a big asset that Sean coach and staff has anyway, And that, you know, you keep it tight and you win a corner and you try and, you try and nick something. Um, Obviously, uh, there's a big question mark whether Calvary-Lewin will, will be available or not. Um, I'm really undecided on whether it's touch and go, whether we should risk more or not, considering that, you know, you know, the relegation's not going to be prevented if we win or lose in this game but him being fit is will affect the rest of the season then it's it's tough but I'm, I'm quietly confident but at the same time you know on Monday morning all that confidence will be gone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm in the, the same boat Paddy you know I think when I see that team she's on Monday if Dom's playing I really fancy our chances of, of not getting beat if he's if he's not playing then ugh, I feel like it'll be really tough just based on listen mope I'll try and you know, run into the channels and whatever. But if we're going to play direct footy and he's our, our point man, it, it feels like it could be a tough one for us to just get out and, and get a bit of breathing room.
0: Yeah, we've already said, haven't we, that Mopay's not really suited to the role. Not in that particular role. So it would, it would change things quite a lot from an Everton perspective. Um, <clears throat> I just, um, let's see how it goes with Calvert-Lewin. Like Mick, I agree. Probably not worth risking him. If he's uh if he's not 100% fit, um, his fitness is more important than three points in a Merseyside derby. Um, but I think it's just otherwise it's same again, isn't it? Probably same midfield, same approach. What you do for Liverpool away is probably pretty similar to what you do for this Arsenal side at home right now. Focus on all those things. Just substitute out Saka. And the approach to Saka when you're dealing with Mohamed Salah coming off the, the right wing, you're going to need your wide midfielders to get close to the fullbacks and support them to block off the inside. Um, part of the game plan that impressed me most was how they stymied Odegaard's influence on Saturday. So it'll be doing the same to a Thiago like figure in the pool's midfield. And it's got to see how it goes. I think at this stage, it's, it's about Daesh getting his methods across, picking up points where possible and obviously a lot of points left to fight for. So however it goes on Monday, it's not going to decide the season. You just need to kind of keep going and keep working. And I think a, even a point on Monday night, I kind of gleefully accept that right now.
1: Oh God, I probably would have taken a point before Arsenal-Liverpool from both games what <laughs> someone said to me beforehand. So uh, yeah, I'm um, not going to say free it because it was a most nice side derby, but um, yeah. Why not go there and, and do something? Uh, they are pretty awful at the moment, so let's see. Um, cheers, lads. A Nice one to Paddy. Nice one to Mick. That has been your weekly show. Uh, we'll have loads of build-up to the Derby in the coming days. Uh, see if we can get Mick to record something from the away end when we win 1-0 as well. Um, with jubilant fans behind him, um, but we'll see all about that. But uh, That has been your weekly show. Cheers for tuning in. Up the toffies.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.